Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. It's it up to McCaffrey. There he goes. It's a C-back attack. This is Desmond Johnson on the Believe and Carolina Panthers podcast. Here on the Believe Podcast Network the number one podcast network for professionals. Do you believe? If you enjoy the show, please subscribe and rate the show on iTunes. We're available in your favorite directories, iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, Stitcher, Luminary, and TuneIn. You can also find us at Believe.com and at Believe Podcast on Twitter. And welcome, Panther fans, to another edition of the Believe in Carolina Panthers podcast. I am your host, Desmond Johnson. I am joined by my esteemed colleague. He is a 13-year NFL veteran, uh, the first player, first defensive player ever selected by the Carolina Panthers back in the 1995 NFL draft, a two-time Super Bowl winner, Tyrone Poole. What's going on, Ty? Hey, Desmond. How you doing? How you doing? Hope all is well. And uh, I wanted to say hello to the Carolina Panther faithful. Uh, you know, we always continue to pound. So uh, another game, last game of the season. So this is kind of like the ending chapter of the 2020 uh, book story of the Carolina Panthers. So let's jump into it. Yeah, what a what a book it was, a roller coaster ride for uh, many of us, not really knowing what to expect when we started this season and this podcast uh, in the summer of 2020. Um, five and eleven, the Panthers finished the season. Uh, this COVID twenty twenty season that's been so disjointed and interrupted at various uh, times. Even the Panthers had a, a little bit of a COVID outbreak uh, after their bye week in week thirteen in their locker room, so no one was really able to get away from it. Um, we'll touch on this uh, final game in week seventeen against the Saints. Although, Todd, to be honest, there wasn't a whole lot of good to pull out of it. Uh, the Panthers lose thirty three to seven, a just complete domination on the Saints' part, which was kind of wild because the Saints didn't really have any running backs. Uh, to play with in the game. Their top two running backs led by Alvin Kamara and their top fullback. Basically, the running back room was canceled out due to COVID um, this past week. So they had none of them available for this game, but it didn't matter. The Saints defense, five interceptions on the on the day total. Uh, Teddy Bridgewater was benched midway through the third quarter. Um, he threw two interceptions in the end zone in this game. 13 for 23, 176 yards, no scores. I'm going to stop right there for a second so we can talk a little bit about Teddy. Coach Matt Rule mentioned in his post game, uh, and then uh, after his like exit interview on Monday of this week, uh, when talking about Teddy Bridgewater, some interesting comments about him and uh, what he hopes for his offseason. But one thing I took away from it was that Matt Rule mentioned that he thought that Teddy didn't look healthy uh, out there in that game versus the Saints. Um he said that he didn't have a lot of velocity on his throws and it looked like he wasn't really pushing off of his ankle, which apparently he hurt earlier in the game. Um, we've been on record here. I know I've mentioned it that Teddy hasn't really looked right since he got hurt in that second Tampa game, uh, which caused him to miss the the next game that the Panthers ended up winning 20 to zero against Detroit uh, with PJ Walker under center. But what are your, now that we have a season under our belt, uh, and you've seen Teddy from beginning to end, from week one to week 17. What, what are you walking away from this season in terms of your thoughts of Teddy Bridgewater and w- whether or not he'll even be here uh, on the roster next year or not, or if the Panthers are the type that'll maybe try to flip that early and, and get someone else in there? What were your, what were your, leave, what were your thoughts as you left 
uh, Panthers versus Saints, and the season ended, Tyrone, uh, on Sunday? Well, I know in this day and age of football, it's always a win-now um, situation, whether it's with the coaches, uh, the owners, the fans. Uh, no one uh, seems to have patience uh, anymore and um, don't look at certain situations. But I do look at the situation for this year. Uh, it was unprecedented. It's a lot of things that guys normally go through that they were not able to go through. So I take that into consideration. I put an asterisk. You know, it's kind of like when all these quarterbacks uh, this day and age and wide receivers this day and age, um, running backs this day and age break records. You know, I have to put an asterisk beside some of these records because I'm like, you know, that's because of a particular situation that allowed that. You know, the, the, the change in the rules uh, allowed quarterbacks to throw the ball freely. Um, but uh, I think with this unprecedented situation with COVID-19, uh, the coronavirus, it changed the landscape uh, across the board. And I think, again, they are professional athletes. Teddy Bridgewater is a professional athlete. Uh, uh, Trey Boston, they are professional athletes. Uh, Robbie Anderson, they're professional athletes so they still got to get themselves ready and the list can go on and on as far as with the panther players they're all professionals uh the coaches are professionals but i do put an asterisk beside this year and just you know we were not able to do the things that we had to do or normally do so it's a lot of adjustments uh players adjusting on how and when and how many times they can get into the weight room or or what we could do around other individuals. So uh, this year, I kind of put an asterisk uh, beside it. You know, it's kind of like a rookie quarterback coming to the NFL. You got to put an asterisk beside that rookie year, even if they have great numbers, because nobody really knows that particular player. Uh, then the second year, they got enough film to kind of understand who that player is. So there's enough film on Teddy Bridgewater to know who he is, what type of quarterback he is. But I would have to put an asterisk beside uh, this season because I don't think no one from the coaches to the players across the board from team to team could actually do what they wanted to do this year. You know, that's what I struggle with, too. Like, I, I sit here and I, I'm really hard on, on Teddy because I look at it like he's surrounded by all these weapons. There's no reason why he should have finished this season, you know, with 15 touchdowns and 11 interceptions and a 4-11 and 11, uh, record as a starter with the Panthers when I just watched him the year before in New Orleans go 5-0 and in place of Drew Brees. But to your point, uh, you do almost have to give a mulligan a little bit to this season because, A, he didn't have his best player, Christian McCaffrey, for pretty much the entire year. So that alters a lot of the game plan. Um, he didn't uh, have an off season, like a real off season, where you're around these guys, you know, in July and OTAs and uh, training camp. And you, you can touch people, you know, like you're around people. You're in the same building. You can joke and laugh and, and learn the playbook together and everything else. He didn't really get that. He got that on Zoom. And I'm watching – my kids struggled through uh, learning on Zoom all day, every day uh, for school right now. And it, it's really hard to, to keep them, you know, engaged in what they're trying to do, just staring at a computer screen for four or five hours a day. So you get all that, you get a new coaching staff, you get new offensive coordinator, new defensive coordinator, new special teams coordinator, new head coach. The owner's only been there two years. So it, it's everything's so fresh and then you can't, really run the business the way you want to run it 
Um, to me, it's a testament to Matt Rule that he was able to get this team to five wins. Um, really, they had no business after McCaffrey went down of being anywhere near a five and eleven record. In my opinion, the the defense was one of the youngest in the league. Uh, they didn't have their best offensive player, and it just for them to win five games is a pretty good testament to Matt Rule and what they were trying to put together here uh, in Charlotte. Before I go any further, though, I do need to read out our uh, our ad for our sponsors over at Bet Online. Uh, the NFL season is in full swing. You might not be at the game this year, but you can still be in on the action at Bet Online. From game spreads and totals to team, player, and coaching props, Bet Online gives you more options to wager than any place online. And there's always the online casino as well. It never closes. So head over to betonline.ag today and take advantage of all the great sign up bonuses. Again, that's betonline.ag and sign up today. Bet Online, your online sports book experts. Desmond Johnson and Tyrone Poole here with you on the Believe in Carolina Panthers podcast. Uh, just recapping week 17's uh, loss to the hated New Orleans Saints division rival. Uh, the Saints did not get the one seed, which was something that Carolina was kind of playing for to prevent them from having. The Green Bay Packers ended up beating the Chicago Bears, so they are the one seed in the NFC, and they will have the bye. Uh, there are only, there's only one bye per side this year as the NFL expanded the uh, the playoff field to seven teams instead of six for each side. So only the one seed. So Kansas City gets it in the AFC. Uh, Green Bay gets it in the NFC. Wild card weekend coming up this uh, weekend. We're going back to just kind of our review of the Panthers here as a whole um, during this past season. And, and going back to Teddy, the Panthers are going to end up having, I think, the number eighth pick in the NFL draft uh, this year, which might be a little too low for me to really put down on a, a quarterback. Um, however, I wanted to ask you, did you watch uh, the Clemson-Ohio State playoff game last weekend, last Saturday, Tyrone? Did you get a chance to check any of that out at all? I uh, know I did not, uh, but I did look at some of the highlights. And uh, Ohio State, they actually – you know, one thing they say, never put bulletin board material up because you don't, mm-hmm. want, you don't want to fuel your opponent. And, uh, you know, Ohio State is a sleeping giant. You know, yeah, people want to say uh, they didn't play enough games. They didn't they shouldn't be in the championship game. Well, uh, the playoffs. Well, I say the same thing when they say about Alabama. They say Alabama doesn't play uh, good teams. They are playing these teams that don't nobody know about. I don't care about that. What I look at is when Alabama gets into that playoff, that's the best of the best. They seem to me they are beating the teams that are good. So, um, you know, however they put their schedule together, that's how they put their schedule together. But when Alabama plays in the playoff, they tend to beat people. So Ohio State, yeah, I know a lot of people, hey, they shouldn't be in there. They didn't play enough games. Ohio State is a proven program. And they're supposed to be the best of the best. So, yeah, there are some teams out there may have been undefeated, had great season during this unprecedented uh, year. But at the end of the day, until you can knock the big dogs off, man, the big dogs got to be in the fight. So Clemson, you know, they said a little too much, I believe, and woke that big dog up and <laughs> came stomping. So, stomping. yeah. And that was from and that was from Dabo, too. Dabo was the one throwing out the bulletin board material, not even the players. So, I mean – I, the reason why I ask is because um, I've been against the Panthers drafting quarterback Justin Fields for pretty much the whole season, and the logic behind it really was just more from the past. Like the really the past fifteen plus years or so, we haven't really seen a quarterback come out of Ohio State that's had success 
in the NFL. And just recently, Dwayne Haskins with Washington, he had, what, a year and some change before they finally decided to cut him? Um, you can just go down the list of guys that played at Ohio State over the past 15 years at quarterback that have not really panned out uh, in the NFL. And that might not be fair to put that on Justin Fields. He transferred in from Georgia. Um, he's been there. This is his second year there now. Um, so I was against getting him. But then I watched that game, and he got hurt. On a, uh, it ended up being a targeting play, and the Clemson player was ejected. Uh, but he got he square shot to the ribs, basically, on his right side, his throwing side. Uh, and I was, when I saw it, I was like, oh, man, it looks like a Drew Brees type situation. He might have cracked ribs, punctured lung, who knows. He, there's no way he's going to finish playing this game. He missed maybe two plays, maybe maybe a, a drive, and then he was right back in there, and he just started dropping dimes like all over the place. Like He, he literally changed my mind in one game about a player and the Panthers drafting him, and I started thinking about – um, what if the Panthers could land Justin Fields? You can put him in at quarterback. He can learn under Teddy Bridgewater next year until he's ready to go. You got McCaffrey back. You got Robbie Anderson, DJ Moore. If they re-sign him, Curtis Samuel. I mean, the Panthers would be looking pretty nice. And it, it was, I think it was something about the way he gutted it out. I think he said he took a couple shots in the tent, went back out there. They didn't even x-ray him or anything. Uh, and he's planning on playing uh, Monday in the national championship game versus Alabama. Um, who I agree with with you, Alabama is a machine, and I don't think the same thing's going to happen <laughs> against Alabama as it did against Clemson. I'm pretty sure Alabama's going to walk uh, through Ohio State Monday. But I, I, I'm liking the idea more and more of Justin Fields getting drafted by the Panthers. The problem is he has to drop to the Panthers because he he's a top two, three prospect, and the Panthers have the eighth pick. I don't think the Panthers would trade up for Justin Fields, but we have seen players drop in the top 10 guys that people thought would go top two, top three, and they end up going, you know, eight, nine, 10 bottom of the first round. Aaron Rodgers is a perfect example of someone who they thought was going to go top two or three and ended up going late in the first round. So it's a possibility he could drop down to there based on what happens with this game with Alabama. But I would be very happy if the Panthers ended up with Justin Fields at quarterback after what I saw him do Saturday against Clemson um, in the college football playoff. Um, I, I, I was looking at uh, everything the Panthers did this season, and I was trying to pick a, a moment or a, a, a time that kind of signified this team. And I keep coming back to that Detroit game where the Panthers blanked the, the Lions 20-0. to I think that was the moment when the defense started to believe in what they were doing. And really from that moment on, I think I read out the stats last uh, last week during the podcast, but the Panthers' defense has really been like a top-10 unit uh, from that moment on uh, for this season. And to me, I feel really confident about uh, the defense going forward next year. Phil Snow kind of learned on the job coming out of Baylor. Uh, Matt Rule was adamant that he have Phil Snow as his defensive coordinator. Uh, I found out that was one of the reasons why he turned down uh, the job with the New York Jets. The Jets wanted uh, some sort of control over the assistance he picked, and he did not want that. So he turned it down waited another year, and ended up going to Carolina where he was able to pick his own staff. Um, the defense, to me, showed the most improvement from beginning to end of the year. Like, at the beginning, they couldn't stop anybody uh, at all, <laughs> every drive. And by the end of the year, they were getting pressure. They weren't doing that three-man rush as much anymore. They were playing great in the secondary. Uh, what, what, what were your thoughts, being a former defensive player yourself, um, was there anything in particular you saw on the defensive side that, that you were happy with by the time we got to the end of the season? 
I'm gonna go back and uh, talk about you talking about the uh, um, adjusting fields um, in the draft. Actually, what you're yeah. saying, uh, what you're saying is um, they need the Panthers need to draft another Cam Newton. <laughs> sort of. He's You know, Justin Fields, I like him. You know, he's the same, almost the same type of guy. You know, he's athletic. He can throw the ball the same thing Cam was. So basically what you're saying is we just need to uh, get another version of Cam to start over. <laughs> and, well, I say, and I say the success, you know, of a player. You see Ohio State, a lot of – players uh are not successful well that quarterback yeah, yeah quarterback coming from there but this is what i i would say to that is uh number one it starts with the mentality of that particular player um that player has to want to be the best and want to have to work to be the best and then i think it's the system the system that you put that player in um and then the coaches and like you alluded to, maybe uh, if they were to get Justin Field, if he was to hold on to that spot, then they could uh, actually um, uh, let him tutor up under Teddy Bridgewater. And just like Aaron Rodgers and um, he did in Green Bay with Brett Favre. Uh, so, but I think just going into the actual, looking at the draft, just what the Panthers would, you know, help them defensively. But offensively, I think, they should find a future quarterback. Uh, definitely believe that. Um, on defensive side, I think they should try to upgrade that secondary a little bit, and uh, if possible, find someone that can come in. Because if you got a great secondary, I'm telling you, you can do a what? That's that is a defensive coordinator's dream to have a secondary. Because if you got a secondary, man, you could do a whole lot of things up front. Uh, you could blitz more because you could trust those guys on the back end. And then after that, I just think, you know, they find the best available playmaker, offense or, or, or defense. But uh, defensively, yeah, these guys started to come on and uh, kind of, you know, start to feel for one another and understand one another. Soot is what I love to call it. They began defensively to to speak the same language, uh, understand each other, uh, understand what they were trying to do. And they were thinking the same way. You know, hey, this is what I think the offense is about to do. What do you think? I think they're about to do the same thing. And when you can get the team on board with that acronym SUT, S-U-T, speak, understand, and think, then that's when you start to see what you really have. You start to see that thing gel, and you start to see guys make plays. I, I am going to slightly push back on the Justin Fields to Cam Newton comparison because because Cam was built different. Cam was like you know six five two sixty or something like he was like a linebacker running around out there. Justin's a little bit smaller. <laughs> he's not built exactly. He's not going to go looking for contact when he's running like Cam would. Uh, and he's a better thrower. Uh, he's like almost a seventy percent completion guy. So I mean, yeah, but yeah, he's yes, he's athletic. Yes, he likes to win. Uh, yes, he's, he just he grew on me because of the toughness I was watching. Like I was always thinking that there was going to be something about him I didn't like. And then I finally sat down and watched him. And from him getting hurt, having the grit to come back in, and it wasn't like he was dinking and dunking. He was uncorking like 40-yard passes down the field after that injury. And you could see him grimacing uh, after each one. And after one touchdown he threw, he literally had to hop back to the sideline because he was in so much pain. And he just won me over. Like he literally just won me over in one game. That rarely happened where I turn down, I turn on one game and one player changes my mind completely on them. But just from the way it was, it just 
I don't know. I wouldn't. I wouldn't hate it. I wouldn't hate it if the Panthers ended up with Justin Fields. Um, but we'll see because we we have no idea what this Panther team is going to do in the draft. They are set up pretty nicely, uh, and they do have history of pretty good picks uh, at the bottom of the top ten whenever they've had that uh, in their history. So we'll see uh, where they kind of go from there. Uh, some Panther news since it's the end of the season. There's a lot of stuff uh, swirling around. Uh, starting off, former uh, Panther linebacker Sam Mills was named a finalist for the, fo- the Pro Football Hall of Fame. Uh, Tyrone, this was a teammate of yours on that 96 team that went 12-4, and lost to Green Bay in the NFC uh, Championship game up in Lambeau. Um, any uh, words you want to give on in terms of Sam getting nominated for this? I believe it's the second year in a row he's been uh, labeled a finalist uh, for this, and hopefully he gets in. Yeah, you know, anytime someone uh, plays, you you play in the NFL, you know, you want to uh, have uh, a career that you can look back on, that people can look back on and just uh, marvel at the fact that you played in the NFL. And, of course, you know, Sam uh, came into the NFL in uh, 1986 with uh, the Saints. Uh, he started off in the um, – uh, with the USFL and, uh, you know, played until uh, 97. So uh, playing with Sam in 95, you know, he was a leader at that time. He was like around 30, 36 years old. And, uh, you know, he played all 16 games and uh, heck of a player, heck of a leader. And you always want guys like that to end up where people can uh, see them uh, in more immortality and i think sam uh is a guy that you want your children to look at hey this is the way you play the game you know undersized but still played with heart he was a leader on and off the field so uh if there's a hall of fame man like with that right there because a lot of these people go to the hall of fame man i'm telling you it's almost like you know they letting anybody in uh right now but uh you Mm -hmm. know one of those guys man that you really want you know, if the Hall of Fame is made up of people who really did something in the game, impactful uh, on and off the field, but on the field mostly, then Sam is that guy. So it would be uh, uh, pretty sure his family would love to see uh, his name uh, being mentioned as a uh, Hall of Famer. And, and I would think this would probably be the first Panther that the Panthers could really claim as a Panther going into the Hall of Fame. I know there's other guy, Kevin Green, who we spoke of, who uh, just recently passed uh, a week or so ago, uh, that's in the Hall of Fame, had a stint here with the Panthers. Um, and we kind of claim him as a Panther. I mean, he was only here maybe like two years, I think it was. Uh, and, and Sam wasn't here very long himself. I think he was only here like three years uh, before he retired. But Sam is the embodiment of today's Panthers in terms of the phrase keep pounding that comes from Sam Mills. Uh, it's a, the embodiment of the, the battle he had uh, with cancer and just his, his journey through the league being an undersized linebacker and being a part of some of the better linebacking cores of all time. I still remember that new Orleans saints linebacking core with him and Pat swilling and those boys uh, before he got to Carolina and then uh, forming it with Lamar Lathan and Kevin green and that three, four that you guys were running uh, in 96 here in Carolina, a step away from the Super Bowl. Uh, we'll find out who uh, who actually gets into the Pro Football Hall of Fame here shortly. Some personnel notes for the Panthers in terms of their staff. They're losing some guys, Tyrone. Uh, the Panthers quarterback coach, Jacob Peets, and offensive assistant uh, coach, DJ Mangus, are both leaving the Panthers to take higher-level jobs at LSU. 
Peets will be the LSU offensive coordinator. Mangus has accepted a role as passing game coordinator. If that sounds familiar, that was the role that Joe Brady had uh, before this year started at LSU. And that helped Joe Burrow throw for 60-plus touchdowns, and LSU went undefeated and won the national championship. So the Panthers are going to be losing those two guys off of their offensive staff. We know that for a fact. Um, Joe Brady's become a hot name the past week or so uh, in the coaching search world. Uh, Three teams have requested interviews with Panthers offensive coordinator Joe Brady, the Atlanta Falcons, the Los Angeles Chargers, and the Houston Texans. He has met with all three of these teams. Uh, uh, Brady, his offense on the surface, you look at the numbers, you're like, why are they after Joe Brady? They're only averaging like 21 points a game. They seem like a run-of-the-mill type offense. But you kind of got to take it with a grain of salt because these Panthers, they produce four players with a thousand yards from scrimmage off of that offense. That's only the fifth time that's happened in the Super Bowl era. Um, he he did get hampered by not having his best offensive weapon in Christian McCaffrey and a quarterback that many people would say would underperform uh, in Teddy Bridgewater with the 15 touchdowns and 11 interceptions for the entire season. Ty, out of those three teams, if we take the Panthers out of it, because, of course, we want Joe Brady to return. And he has mentioned that he's leaning towards returning to Carolina uh, as we are recording this. But if he had to go, which one would be the better situation for Joe Brady? The Atlanta Falcons, the Los Angeles Chargers, or the Houston Texans to become the next head coach? Well, if uh, I would say the Atlanta Falcons. I know a lot of people are like, what, the Atlanta Falcons? <laughs> the fact that he's already played and he knows his division. He knows the division. I think it would uh, turn into automatic opportunities to win. Uh, he knows Carolina, knows the personnel, uh, played against Tampa, uh, played against um, the Falcons, so he knows what they have. Um, and, you know, I, I think the NFC South um, would be the best fit. So the Falcons, in my mind, would be the best fit. You know, you go out to L.A., again, you're going to a team uh, where you don't know everybody, you don't know the division. Of course, they got the Chiefs, so, you know, the Chiefs going to rule that division. Uh, oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, um, you know, in the Texans, you know, management, you know, they still missing some pieces. But I think, you know, Atlanta, from the fact that they have uh, some pieces there, it's all about – uh, orchestrating that salary cap. There are some guys that may be gone uh, just for salary cap reasons, uh, but I think I would say the Atlanta Falcons would be the uh, number one pick. But again, they got uh, Raheem um, Morris. I think you know he's been doing a great job. So you know that may be a tough, tough sale to get him into Atlanta. But if I had to pick, if I was Joe Brady and the doors were open and I had to select, I would say Atlanta because I already know the teams in this division. Yeah, I I would lean towards Atlanta too for everything you said, plus they have the number four pick in the draft. Um, So say you wanted to move on from Matt Ryan, who's 35, you, you Justin Fields is probably in play, um, you know, at at number four because looking at the teams ahead of them, uh, Jacksonville, obviously, they're going to draft Trevor Lawrence. Um, One in 15, they need a quarterback, they need a star. Uh, Number two, the New York Jets, they might take a flyer out on fields, but they do have Sam Darnold. They really need to draft the um, Panay Sewell, the, the tackle from uh, Oregon, because they need help on their line. Number three is the Miami Dolphins. They just drafted Tua last year, so they're not in the market for a quarterback. And Atlanta's at four. So 
you know, Atlanta out of those three, you got Julio Jones, you got Calvin Ridley at wide receiver. You've got a, a pretty decent offensive line. Uh, you, pr- you might need a running back. Um, I think uh, Todd Gurley might be more at the end of his career than the beginning um, with the issues with his knees, arthritis and things like that. That stuff doesn't go away. So it's not like he's going to get better uh, the older he gets. So you might want to uh, check out a running back or something along those lines. The Chargers intrigue me because I feel like they underachieve. They got a lot of talent, and Justin Herbert uh, is legit at quarterback. We saw these uh, Chargers earlier this year. Um, they're 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 going to be good if they get the right person underneath them. And you got Keenan Allen at wide receiver. You know, you got uh, Melvin Gordon. You got all these guys. You got talent over there on both sides of the ball. Uh, Joey Bosa on the defensive side. They intrigue me a little bit, but to your point, they are in the AFC West where the Kansas City Chiefs reside. And do you want to go up against Pat Mahomes and Andy Reid twice a year voluntarily? I I don't know. (laughs) So I I don't know if that would be a good pick. The Texans, they've got Deshaun Watson. That's pretty much the main thing, the draw there, is you've got probably a top three, top four quarterback in all the league right now, and Deshaun Watson, uh, who just signed a major extension. So he's going to be there for a while. So really – Texans have Deshaun Watson, so you got a top quarterback. Chargers probably have the most talent on both sides of the ball, uh, but they're in the toughest division uh, to win. And then the Falcons, good draft pick, top five draft pick. Uh, you got weapons on offense. Defense probably needs a little bit of work. But the division, the NFC South, is going to be going through some changes, I think, over the next couple of years. If you really sit back and look at what's going on, Tyrone, Tampa Bay has a 43-year-old quarterback in Tom Brady. Uh, or no, 44, I think is what he is now. Uh, Drew Brees, this is probably his last season, if I'm not mistaken. We've heard that he's going to retire, take a studio job. So the, the Saints will be uh, flipping over from the Drew Brees era. Um, and then you got the Falcons who are looking for a new head coach uh, and trying to figure things out on their side, whether or not they're going to keep Matt Ryan and Julio Jones or do a complete rebuild. Then you got our Panthers sitting over here, uh, fresh regime. regime. They've got some young talent. They're the youngest team in the division. So the NFC South is going to be wide open over the next two or three years as a team tries to establish themselves. So maybe it maybe it will be Atlanta. But hopefully, for purely selfish reasons, I would like Joe Brady to stay one more year. I'd like to see this offense uh, with Christian McCaffrey in it, with a quarterback that can you know score in the red zone, and, and kind of see his offense at full throttle. Because I don't think we really saw that this year due yeah. to injury and COVID and, you know, Everything else out there. Yeah. Uh, the other tidbit of news from the Panthers this week is their general manager search. And the Panthers, if they're known for one thing underneath uh, owner David Teppers, that they move quickly. They move fast. They hired Matt Rule a week after the season ended last year. And we fully expect them to do the same with this general manager search as the draft approaches. A couple of names that popped out to me that they have already interviewed uh, Jerry Reese, former general manager for the New York Giants. He won two Super Bowls with the Giants against those Patriot teams in 07 and 2011. <clears throat> Jeff Ireland has been interviewed. He was an assistant uh, general manager of the Saints, um, college scout director. He was a former Dolphins general manager. Um, and then uh, Kawaisi Adolfo Mensa. he's the vice president of football ops for the Browns right now. He spent seven years with the 49ers, uh, director of football research. Um, two of these three that I mentioned are African-American. Um what are your thoughts on where the Panthers should go with this general manager search? What type of general manager would you be looking for to to pair up with Matt Rule uh, going forward for this franchise? What are you looking for? Well, 
first and foremost, I think it's important to kind of understand what a general manager does. You know, in the NFL, the National Football League, a general manager typically controls player transactions and basically bears the responsibility on behalf of the team doing doing contract discussions with players, uh, kind of similar to uh, the position that includes uh, the president of football operations. So with that being said, I think you want to get someone in that understands how important those roles are. And uh, regardless of, um, you know, age, stage, uh, ethnicity, whatever the case may be, um, you want to get the best person for the job. And uh, at the end of the day, it's about winning. Uh, it's all about winning. Uh, win has no color, uh, has no age. Win is a win. And that's what you want to do. You want to win championships. You want to get guys in who know how to put that together. And, you know, it's typically you see it all over the place uh, with coaches uh, like in New England. OK, I, I use New England. I played with them. Uh, I also played in Carolina, played with you know, Indianapolis Colts. And but I talk about the Patriots because people tend to try to go get coaches from that New England Patriots system. And what they fail to understand is Bill Belichick. He is the bell cow and these other guys learned up under him. So it's all predicated on what they have learned. Um, so when it comes to the GM, I want somebody who's pretty much been almost like a head coach themselves, not somebody who probably has uh, learned up under somebody and now get them opportunity. Yeah. You want to give everybody an opportunity, but at the end of the day, I want to get somebody in here. Uh, if I'm an owner who actually uh, has built something, uh, who knows what they're doing and um, that's what I want. And wherever that player, that GM, that GM is, should I say, uh, regardless of age, uh, regardless of ethnicity, I want somebody who knows how to handle their job. I, I agree with that. And I kind of want a sprinkling of Marty Herney's talent evaluation ability without the Marty Herney give a guy a huge bloated contract part. <laughs> like, I don't want that part. I want the part where Marty's nailing first round picks. Uh, because I was trying to think, when was the last time I, uh, Marty had a first-round pick that he didn't uh, come away with with a quality starter or uh, borderline all-star or whatever it may be? And it's been a minute. I mean, he hasn't really – I mean, he's been pretty much – he had been nailing those, and that was kind of his call to fame. Uh, I want a guy that's able to identify talent, not just at the top of the draft, but throughout the draft, because these teams aren't built just in the first round. We, we touched on that last week uh, when Panther fans were upset that the Panthers had won. Um, against the Redskins, because, or excuse me, the Washington football team, excuse me, um, <laughs> <laughs> about uh, about them winning and losing draft position. And we were like, you know, that's not the way you build a football team. There's 52 guys. You can't just do it with just, you know, a couple of first-round guys and expect to be uh, a good team. I want a guy that's able to pull a gym in the fifth round, you know, a guy that can pull somebody in the fourth that nobody's really heard of or – uh, has been underrated and can be coached up, that kind of thing. Um, and it'll depend, just looking at this list of names here, I kind of look at Jerry Reese and I'm like, eh, did he build those Giants teams? Because Ernie, of course, he was the GM up to 2007. So a lot of the personnel 
on those Giants teams were not picked by Jerry Reese uh, or brought in by Jerry Reese. So, but he got the fruits of the labor of it with two Super Bowl rings on his hands. So, hey, um, I'm not sure about him. Uh, Jeff Ireland's interesting assistant general manager for the Saints currently, and the Saints just finished winning their fourth uh, NFC South title uh, in a row, which has never been done. And I'm, honestly, the name that really I'm drawn towards is the Kwasi Adolfo Mensa uh, guy, the vice president of football operations for the Cleveland Browns. Uh, seven years with the 49ers director of football research. That means that he was there during the Jim Harbaugh era uh, when they built that team up basically in like a year and a half on the offense and defensive lines and just kind of rode that. He was there. Uh, here recently as they've rebuilt under Kyle Shanahan, kind of in the same mindset, build the offense, build the defensive line, um, build it in the trenches and build out. I like that mentality, and I think David Tepper is kind of the same way. You build your team on the offensive line and defensive line, and you build it outwards from there. Uh, But those need to be the strengths of your team. And he's young. He's young. I like that. Um, I like that he's African-American. There's not a lot of general managers that are African-American in the NFL. Uh, and I think David Tepper is progressive enough to uh, not intentionally go out and do it just because he's African-American, but to not let that matter, you know, to, to hire someone not based on their their color or creator character or whatever that might be uh, and do it based off of their ability to do the job, like you said. Um, and I have no doubt that they'll do that and not only do that, but they'll do it fast. They're going to by the time we come back in here and do the last uh, show for the season next week, I kind of expect the Panthers to already have a general manager in place. So. Um, next week, we're going to wrap it up right here. Next week, when, the, when we come back, it'll be our season finale. Um, we'll go through some of our end-of-the-year awards uh, for the Panthers, uh, players and coaches and whatnot. Any Panther news that comes out between now and then, we'll drop for you as well. Uh, you can follow Tyrone Poole on Twitter at TyronePool38. You can follow me, Desmond Johnson, on Twitter at D-E-Z underscore 3505. And you can find us on the Believe Podcast Network. Follow them on Twitter at Believe Podcast. That's B-L-E-A-V Podcast, where you can listen to this episode and any of the episodes from this previous season. Uh, For Tyrone Poole, I'm Desmond Johnson. We'll be back next week. That is the Believe and Carolina Panthers Podcast on the Believe Podcast Network. Keep pounding. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.